Hey, I'm Orlando Duque, and I'm a professional cliff diver from Colombia. I've had so many incredible career highs, from winning 13 world titles to holding two Guinness World Records. But after 20 years, I ended my competitive career at the end of the 2019 season. In this podcast, I'm going to take you into the mindset of some of the world's best cliff divers, how they overcome fear, pressure, and how the exhilarating feeling of rushing through the air from 27 meters is so addictive. We're going to hear from experts too, such as psychologists, physiotherapists, coaches from inside and outside the sport. We'll find out how they ensure the athletes are always in optimum condition. And we'll get into other sports and approaches, talking to adventurers, other pro athletes and visionaries, and we'll explore the places that mindset and focus can take us in everyday life. I'm Orlando and welcome to my world of diving. On today's episode, I have the pleasure to talk to one of my heroes in the sport of diving, Olympic champion, world champion, and sports director of Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series, Mr. Greg Luganis. We reminisced on a synchro dive we did together in Japan, the wealth of knowledge he brings to the World Series, how he dealt with his post-Olympic blues, and we had a really good chat about the way he has integrated his diving skills into daily life. He is the greatest diver in history. Greg, thank you very much for joining us. Sir, Orlando, how you doing? I'm doing good. It's, it's good to see you. Normally, we, we would have been spending a lot of time together this year, and, and it's the first time I see you in 2020. Yeah, I know. It's, oh, it's been crazy, but uh, God, I miss you guys. I miss y'all. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully, hopefully soon we're going to get back to normal. Greg, um, I want to start a little bit at the beginning. Um, you, you have been called the greatest American diver and probably the greatest diver in history. I do agree with both of those. But um, first, I want to hear like about your early career. How did you get to that point to be the greatest diver in history? Well, I mean, it didn't just start in the diving pool. I mean, I, I, I started uh, doing dance and acrobatics uh, when I was a year and a half. And then I was performing on stage when I was three. So, I mean, I was a pretty precocious kid. You know, the acrobatics evolved into gymnastics and then gymnastics eventually into diving. And we had a pool built in our backyard when I was, what, eight years old. And... Um, my, I was trying some of my gymnastic stunts off the diving board at home, and my mom didn't want me to kill myself, so she got me lessons. So first day after lessons, uh, the coach asked me if I would join the team, and I was like, uh, let me think about it, because I had so much going on. I, I was really my dream to make the Olympic team in gymnastics. That was my first love. I, I just loved oh, gymnastics. Wow. Yeah, but everything... You know, I would have been a little tall for a gymnast, so I think everything worked out really well. I, I can see that's a really good combination, dance, acrobatics, and then leading to Olympic divers. So that's good to know, you know, understand a little bit more of that background. Uh, Greg, what's your highest dive you've done outside of the pool? I remember in 2016, me and you did a synchro dive in Japan, and that was like, what, 14, 15 meters? Was it that high? Oh my God! <laughs> I think so. Was um, that your highest dive? They, well, well, they they told me that it, oh, it was just eleven meters, <laughs> but you know, I was uh, uh, probably make me feel a little bit better. But um, no, that was my highest dive. Yeah, definitely. 
that that was really cool because like i said uh not everybody gets a chance to dive alongside their hero and and to me that was unbelievable greg you have you have a big collection of olympic medals i think five in total world championship medals at home uh then in 2011 you took a new challenge working at rebel cliff diving world series i think you joined as a judge first yeah um how did you find adapting you know to this different kind of role within the diving world you know still diving but now is cliff diving and in, in some of these crazy locations you know, it was a pretty easy transition. I, I was amazed the 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 tricks that that y'all were doing. I mean, you were basically doing competitive ten meter list, just a half somersault, half twist out, granny out, uh, and it was just amazing. I mean, I, I just had so much respect for y'all, and it was it was a pretty easy transition for me. Um, you know, it, I I enjoy these aesthetics of the sport, you know, of diving. And so it was, it was easy for me to kind of fit into, into that aspect as judge. So it was, it was, it was a lot of fun to judge y'all. You should have seen the face of the divers when we were told uh, Greg Luganis was going to come and judge. So that, that was, that was really nice. <laughs> were, were you nervous? Every, everybody was really excited. Everybody was just <laughs> starstruck. Everybody was really, really happy that you were joining us. Uh, then Greg, since 2017, you've been the sports director of the Rebel Cliff Diving World Series. Could you tell us a little bit about that day-to-day -day responsibilities? Yeah, it's really been wonderful. I mean, I'm really kind of, uh, you know, an, an athlete advocate. You know, I, I, I love what the athletes are doing and um, just really uh, just taking care of them, making sure that, uh, you know, that everything's safe, working closely with the crew and, you know, just making sure that everything's, done safely and, and 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 also you know fairness i mean we had some challenges last year and i i felt everybody came together and pulled together made some really hard decisions but right decisions which was really great to see that you know everybody coming together and working together to work towards a solution so i i really appreciated that yeah i think i think it's good to have your experience you know it's it's, it's good to be able to draw and, and really understand the sport overall. And, and in, you've been in many different situations, even from competition to now director, and, and to have that whole experience and be able to transmit that to the divers. Uh, Greg, what's your main task during a competition day? Like, let's say today is the final of uh, one, one of the Red Bull Cliff Diving Stops. What's, what's your job for that day? You know, it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, I feel like I'm air traffic control on the, <laughs> a lot of those, con you know, competition days, you know, with the women in the lower platforms, the men going, making sure everybody's good and clear. Uh, probably the most memorable one for me was when we were in Lebanon and I was strapped to the cliff for five and a half hours i mean it was i couldn't go anywhere it was it was it was it was fun um but you know just to make sure the divers are safe that the scuba divers are in the water that they're ready to go that uh you know all everything is in place uh it's but that was that was memorable. Being <laughs> <laughs> strapped to a cliff. They did not <laughs> specify where your office was going to be, and and it changes every stop. So I can imagine that can be a challenge. Um, Greg, you know both sides of diving really well, diving and cliff diving. What would you say is the biggest difference in the approach 
that the athletes have to their sport now? Well, I think that uh, <laughs> there he is, <laughs> my dog. In in cliff diving, you 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 all amaze me because you practice half of your dive the first half, and then you practice the second half, and then it's not until you get to a competition most of the times that you're able to put those two elements together. And so I just really commend you in, in the visualization work that you do and the you know, imagination to, you know, to get that in your body and trusting that. Uh, I think that that is something that regular divers don't often appreciate unless they're learning a new dive. It's almost like you're you're going into a competition and you're still in the learning process. Right, you go into the competition to learn your dive. <laughs> right, exactly. It's just mind-boggling to me that you all are able to do that, to have that kind of resilience, to have that type of uh, determination. It's very admirable for me being able to observe that with the fancy diving. It's It's much more predictable i mean you have the facility you train in the facility you're able to do your entire dive the complete dive all at once and so you have a lot of advantages that way and it also probably goes towards consistency but i i'll have to say that with you and gary hunt and so many of the divers that are out there who are consistently on top I mean, just the ability to pull out those performances and do it over again and again and again, that is truly impressive. I think that's part of the, the thrill for us cliff divers, that, that, that unknown that you have until you arrive on, on location. Greg, um, this, is, this is a part that I think uh, I'm really curious to hear from you because I know you're, you're an advocate. Uh, for this. Um, well, we're supposed to start in 2020. Unfortunately, it's been canceled, so it's going to start in 2021. Uh, but the World Series have equalized standards for women and men. Same competition format, same number of divers, same price money. What kind of sign do you see that goes out to the world of sports when a sport like ours, maybe a little bit smaller, it's already making these adaptations. I, you know, I think it's so important. You know, it, it, it's great to see diving kind of uh, stepping up to the plate, taking those steps for equality and encouraging diversity. And also, I mean, that that's, you know, one of the things where we are in cliff diving, um, high diving, uh, trying to get more women involved. And I think that you know, by doing that, uh, it kind of encourages fair play, you know, that everybody's treated with, you know, equally and you have the same advantages and all. So it really is encouraging to have Red Bull kind of step up to the plate and, and have that in place. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, I think it's, it's the way to go. And, and I'm really proud to be part of of that group. Rebel Cliff Diving is, is also supporting a lot of uh, the youth. In 2019, um, the World Series had two teenagers on the podium, Maria Paula from Colombia in Italy, and then Aidan Heslop in Bilbao. You know, he was third as well. How do you explain this shift, you know, towards the younger generation being already at the top of this discipline? Before, maybe my years, it was a little bit more experience, you know, 25, 28. Now they're starting at 16, 17, and by 18, 19, they're, they're placing. So how do, you, how do you see that shift? 
You know, I think it's, it has a, a lot to do with really, I mean, you all, you, you are wonderful mentors. You, Orlando and Gary and um, so many of the other divers, um, you know, Andy Jones, Steve LeBou, all out there supporting, mentoring, um, David Colturi. I mean, I know that all of all of you all have really helped in in as far as the outreach and mentoring and helping coach these young athletes to reach those levels you know and that's really what what i see from an outside perspective is that it's it's not so much that you know that it's going to be overtaken by the by the youngsters it's that what you all are doing as seniors of the sport, passing down that knowledge, mentoring these kids, that's really where the magic happens. That's where they're able to really blossom and really have that confidence. You know, when they have that support and that backing and somebody who's actually been there and can talk them through that, that's where the sport is gonna be elevated. I mean, that's one thing that I always said through my diving careers, I wanted, the records are fine. I mean, I've got, you know, 47 national titles and <laughs> and all that crap, you know, but I want to see my records broken. Right. I mean, that's, that's where, you know, I would like to see. And, and I feel like that there's that same spirit within the uh, cliff diving community is that they want to lift the sport up by lifting others up. You're actually lifting yourself up. So to your top levels, how well you can perform personally. So it's not just helping, you know, the young kids coming up or any, anyone around you. It, it really is elevating everybody else's performance, which is going to elevate your performance. Yeah, and that's, and that's the way we're going to progress. That's the way we're going to get uh, much bigger. Um, Greg, cliff diving is, is, is still an evolving sport. We keep growing. I mean, you, you, yep. we can probably see it. Uh, in this last few years, we keep growing. What would you say is the most rewarding part of being the sports director uh, in, in an evolving sport? You know, I think the, the most re rewarding thing is just to see the, the growth and development of the athletes. That's what I really appreciate. Uh, and so many of the younger athletes coming up, you know, like I was saying, you know, with mentoring and all that, uh, that's, the, that's the thing that excites me you know, as far as the, the growth of the sport, because who knows where, where the sport can go. And that's the way that we're gonna get there is through the support of each other. Greg, I wanna talk about the Olympics. You had your first Olympic medal in 76. It was a yeah. silver medal, right? I was 16. Exactly. But then 1980, USA did not go yeah. to the Olympics. And yeah. you had to wait another four years to right. Los Angeles to win your first gold medal. You waited eight years and you kept at it and you developed even more. Uh, but what was the first thought? I mean, you come out of the water and you go like Olympic champion, what came to your head? It, it's funny, when I, when I won the three-meter springboard, which was my first Olympic gold, I was like, okay, I've got platform. <laughs> I was thinking I'm not I done thinking, yet. I have, I have another event. It's like okay, okay, stay focused, you know. So I mean when you watch those award ceremonies, you can tell one from the other. You can tell, you know, because I'm a little reserved on the men's three meter springboard. It's like, okay, yeah. My head was already going towards the 10 meter platform because 
um, success to me would, was going to be winning two gold medals, three meter springboard and 10 meter platform. But when I won the 10 meter platform and that Olympics, my uh, Olympic diving at that Olympics was over, I was like, I just lost it. I mean, I was, I mean, it was just such a relief and a sense of accomplishment. I broke 700 on 10 meter platform, which is a goal that I was striving for. Uh, and to do that at the Olympic Games is huge uh, because the Olympics is a very different animal. It is very different from any competition because it's such a media circus. circus. There's the entire world is watching and politics, uh, you know, all of that stuff. I think fortunately in diving, we're probably uh, the most objective of the subjective sports. So I think that, you know, because they knock off the high and the low. So there's not a whole lot of politics that can mm. really ran, run rampant in, in our sport. But, you know, but there is some jostling and all uh, in campaigning. So it's a really unique competition. So, yeah, that was my experience in uh, the 1984 Olympic Games was, yeah, we had to wait eight years, but yeah, I had a job to do. <laughs> and you did it great. You did, you did it the, uh, the perfect way. Uh, you, you went on to win, actually, four gold Olympic medals after in, in Seoul, you won again three meters and platform. Um, mm. Did that make you feel like, okay, you're, you're more complete, like this, this is full circle, or did that bring uh, new challenges that you were not expecting? Well, I, you know what? I, I had announced my retirement after 84. I, I was supposed to leave the sport, but I went to uh, the president of USA Diving at that time, and I asked what was happening with trust funds because I was one of the athlete representatives that was pushing for trust funds so that an athlete, a diver could continue on their career and still do speaking engagements, endorsements and all that. And then that money goes towards their training in line with athletics, with track and field. And so I was pushing for that. And I, I asked the president of USA Diving, Phil Boggs, said, you know, what, what's going on with trust funds? He said, well, the only one it affects is you and you're retiring. So we don't have to spend the money on attorneys to get that in place. I said, fine, I'm not retiring. Do your homework. So it was my intent to stay eligible to, in, until the trust funds were in place and then I could retire because I will have paved the way for the divers behind me right. that they would be able to benefit from that. And so it took two years to get that in place. And I found myself in at the World Championships in Madrid, Spain, and uh, I won <laughs> the three-meter springboard and 10-meter platform there. And... Ron turned to me, my coach, he said, what are you going to do? You know, the trust funds are in place. It's only two more years. I said, no, oh, two years. Yeah, I, I can hang on for two you more can years. Do that. So that's how that happened. It really was kind of by, by accident. But I'm glad it did. Because the one thing that my coach always said is the only thing that you're going to left behind after you retire is your records. Right, right. Uh, Greg, you do a lot of mentoring work for young divers and, and, and to the youth in general. Um, how did you start mentoring? Uh, do you have any formal education or just purely out of your uh, personal life, your own athlete experience, uh, you share all that knowledge with, with them? Well, I, it was uh, Steve Foley. When Steve Foley was the high performance director at USA Diving, 
um, then he reached out to me and said, how do we get you involved? I said, I don't, what do I have to offer? I didn't think I had anything to offer. And he goes, well, <laughs> how about mentoring? I'm like, oh, okay, I, yeah, I can do that. And then the more that I did it, the more I loved it. And it was really kind of sharing my experiences that, you know, the one thing in preparation for an Olympic Games is really passing on, passing down that information. Like, you know, with David Bodaya, who won the gold in London, and, uh, and then he was just a part of that, that documentary, The Weight of Gold. Uh, you know, he said <laughs> that somebody said something about the post-Olympic blues. That was me. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I warned them because there is, I mean, going to the Olympic Games, no matter how you win or lose, I mean, there's a really high high because you're at the Olympic Games. You, you've achieved a goal. Um, and win or lose, you know, there's a valley that you go through because, you know, that high, high, you know, is usually followed by a low, low. And that was one thing that Pat McCormick actually told me going into the 1976 Olympics, my first Olympics, is she said, you know, Greg, you know, be aware of the post-Olympic blues. And so I was aware of it. I think that that was a, a, a good thing that I was aware of it. It didn't, necessarily helped me get through the depression that I went through afterwards um, because I was a silver medalist. I felt like a loser, you know, because I went there to win. I didn't go there to take second. And so I felt like I let everybody down. But that's the mentality of a 16-year-old. You know, I was pretty young and impressionable. So, uh, you know, so that was hard. But it was imp it's important for me to convey those, those stories and relay those stories so that uh, others like David and um, Cassidy Krug, you know, all of the kids that I that I worked with, you know, they have that information so they can be aware and and alerted to you know to that, so that they can take care of themselves. And because when you're an Olympic athlete, when you're an Olympian, everybody expects you to be bulletproof, right? You know, and so you you're you know you're like this superhuman and you are bulletproof well we aren't you know we're just human and so um you know it's important that that be acknowledged and understood and also the importance of you know having friends around and family you know that you can share those things with not be afraid yeah i mean i've had athletes reaching out to me from other countries to make those those adjustments and and so it's important that we we're there to lean on each other and to be leaned on right yeah that's that's really important now that you bring that up uh, greg did you have a mentor during your competitive career and how important was that for you well i i would say that my mentor was my coach uh, Ron O'Brien, because he really kind of took an interest in everything that I did. I mean, he even came to some of my theater performances <laughs> when, when I was performing on stage. And actually, Steve McFarland did too, because he coached me when I was at the University of Miami. So he came to some of the productions there. So it, it was wonderful to have that support that it wasn't diving. He was my diving coach, but it, he was there for me in other areas of my life. So that to me was really important and, and really made for being a, a true mentor. 
after all you have gone through, all your medals, all your successes, some of some of the problems you have to deal with in your career, what advice would you give to little 10-year-old Greg uh, if, if he was in front of you now? Okay, you know, advice that, uh, that I would give my, my 10-year-old self, uh, that anything bad that happens or anything good that happens is temporary. And that no matter how bad it gets or how good it gets, it, things will change. Uh, and it's important to, to know that, to really appreciate the good things when they happen. And also, no matter how dark it may seem, that it's only temporary. Uh, you know, because I did try and commit suicide. I mean, and that is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And it's sometimes you don't see it that way. A lot of times you don't see it that way. Uh, well, you don't see it that way. So that's why that why suicide ha happens. And uh, but it's it is temporary. Uh, anything good, anything bad, it's it's all temporary. And you know, there's always something to be learned from from both both sides of that. The dream of many people is to be an Olympic athlete. The, just going to the Olympics, it, it's it's a huge accomplishment for them. Um, you actually found success in the Olympics. You're an Olympic champion. What has being that Olympic champion taught you as a person? As an Olympian, uh, and also as a successful Olympian, as successful as I was, like I learned how to hyper-focus. I could be at the World Championships or the Olympic Games, and an atomic bomb could go off, and I wouldn't even know it. I mean, I was unshakable. But there are things that I had to learn afterwards, out after my diving career, and that was, you know, really how to integrate my life, the, all the different areas of my life, whether it's uh, relationship, friendships, um, you know, finances, all of those areas of my life to integrate them into a single person. I mean, it's almost like uh, there were several different Gregs. I mean, there was the Greg who performed on stage and then there's the Greg that did the diving thing. In integrating all of that and appreciating it, I, I feel I'm, I, I, I'm a much more well-rounded person you know, and acknowledging my, really acknowledging my strengths and weaknesses, you know, of course, I mean, if you excel so well in something, then a lot of times something else has to, has to suffer. <laughs> yeah, it has to equalize. Yeah, it, it isn't getting the attention that it should. So you, you're, oftentimes you neglect certain areas of your life. So now integrating my life, I'm able to integrate all of those things and um, and creating those, you know, putting the attention where uh, where it makes me happy, where I can be uh, a, a well-rounded person. That that sounds really good, Greg. I want to thank you for joining us here 
at Orlando's World of Diving. Um, you know, keep bringing your really nice energy around. It really feels good to be around you every time I get a chance to, to just share a little space on a platform with you. It, it feels good. You know, keep bringing that good energy. Keep fighting. I know you're an activist for so many things, and, and you know, we're on your side. Um, I keep fighting for, for everything that you believe in, and um, I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, being on a platform again, sharing stories about diving, and uh, hopefully, you know, we'll get to see each other soon. Thank you very much, Greg. Miss you, Orlando. See you soon. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Orlando's World of Diving. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that the next episode is ready for you as soon as it's released. If you've enjoyed it, give us a rating and leave a review with what you thought about the podcast and what you've learned and might try and apply to your sporting, professional, or personal life. I'll see you next time.